Our sermon text today comes from Acts chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 32 through 35. Now, over the last several weeks in Acts 9, we've seen Saul's conversion, the beginning of his ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, already, we've begun to see how much Saul has to suffer for the sake of Jesus' name, even as the Lord said. But now, here in verse 32, Peter comes back into the foreground, again doing signs and wonders that authenticate the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God that he proclaims. More than authenticating, however, the signs themselves show us something of what the king is like and what his kingdom is like to. Let's pray, though, as we come to listen to God's word, asking for his help to understand what he says to us. Let's pray. Living word of God, come now and bring forth your message for our lives in that which is about to be read and preached. May your word bless, heal, and restore us, for we are, as Isaiah said, a needy people. Your word is the only light into our path and a lamp into our feet. In this we rejoice through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Acts 9, verses 32 through 35. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Luda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Luda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Praise be to God. Kids, y'all can come up to spend some time with Pastor Haynes. There'll be more and more good things that they don't have. So, 
How many of you think that you're optimist? How many of you think that, that you tend to focus on the good things that you have? Any of you optimists? All right. Any of you pessimists? Anybody on our bed? You know, sometimes you focus on what you don't have. All right. Well, let me ask you another question. Do you think that Christians should be optimists or pessimists? Optimists.
Bibles, if you haven't already, uh, to that passage in Acts 9. But as we look at this, I, I want to tell you, my dad was a creature of habit. And that applied to lunch as much as anything else. Uh, just around the corner from his office was a Wendy's. And, and he was there so often, and his order was so predictable, they started making his meal as soon as he walked through the door. They, they knew what to expect, so they didn't even wait for his order. That by the time he finished paying the cashier, they were sliding him his tray with his classic single, no mayo, no onions, fries, and a Coke. Predictability is a powerful thing. Sometimes knowing what to expect is really comforting. Uh, that's doubly true when your stomach's growling and you know a place where everyone knows your name and, more importantly, your order. But what about what the thing you're expecting is more hardship? What if the thing that is predictable is a perpetual burden? What does that expectation do to a person? This passage opens with Peter doing what the apostles seem to be doing a lot at this point in the story. Their ministry is mobile. They go out from Jerusalem to strengthen the church that's growing around it. As witnesses to Jesus, the risen Lord, they carry his word with Jesus' own authority. Sometimes teaching, sometimes rebuking. Sometimes gently correcting Peter and the rest of the apostles are fulfilling Jesus' mission for them. Not only by spreading the gospel of Jesus, but also by training believers in, to live in the way that God says life works best, which is actually a part of the gospel. Their aim is to equip God's people for every good work. And through Jesus' transforming grace, helping them to enjoy more and more. The life Jesus gives to his people. And so that's what Peter is up to as he comes to the saints at Luna. We, we shouldn't think that these saints are a special class of Christians, super Christians as it were. In the New Testament, saints is the ordinary designation for people who have heard the gospel of Jesus and believed in him. By, by faith in Jesus, God counts them as his Saints, his holy ones, set apart from the world as belonging to him. Now, we don't actually know when or how these people came to believe in Jesus. It could have been right after Pentecost as people went back home and took the gospel with them. Or maybe it was through Philip's ministry. As he left the Ethiopian eunuch, he passed up this way. But while Peter is with these saints doing his apostle thing, he finds a man named Aeneas. Now, honestly, there's a lot that we don't know about Aeneas. Does he already believe in Jesus? Is he already connected into the believing community? Or does he live on the fringe? We, we don't really know because the text doesn't tell us. All we're told is this little phrase describing his life. In verse 33, Peter finds Aeneas, a man paralyzed who's been bedridden for eight years, or potentially bedridden since he was eight years old. Let's stop here. Think about that. 
mind. Eight years of paralysis shape someone's expectations. Eight years, the same thing every day, never anticipating any change. What can eight years in bed do to a person physically, emotionally, spiritually? One writer said he felt it safe to suppose that both Aeneas himself and all about him despaired of relief for him. But Aeneas and everyone around him could have only expected that he must still keep his bed till removed to his grave. How's that for predictability? I'll be in this bed until they move me to that bed of dirt. You can imagine how it felt, can't you? I, I expected the weight of this burden, of being a burden, was heavy on him. Can't work in the field. Can't work at home. I, I, I don't mean to suggest that a person who is bedridden cannot enjoy something, uh, some, some goodness of this life. There are joys that do not depend on movement. But there are some things that we know deep down are not the way that they're supposed to be. And Aeneas must have felt that keenly. He was a burden to himself and to his family. And a burden he expected to remain. What are you expecting? When you look at your life, can you identify with Aeneas? Though different from his, are you so aware of your infirmities, your weaknesses, that you know the weight of being a burden to yourself and to others? Those burdens might be physical, like his. In sickness, short or chronic, these bodies can feel heavier than the scale says. There are other kinds of burdens, too. Yours might be the stories that you carry. The heavy load of history that's placed on your shoulders by family or false friends. Our family of origin itself can be burdensome. Or your burdens might be connected to your inner life. The, the way money continues to control your daydreams and your emotions. The way your impatience continues to wound the people that you love. The, the way a beautiful person holds your attention too much. The way that you hate the rat race, but you play the game anyway because you hate losing even more. The way you struggle with the same sins today as you did yesterday and last year and the years before that. We groan under all of these burdens, even if you take heart a little because you don't struggle with those things in the that with the same frequency or intensity or for as long each time before coming to your senses, the fact that your heart is still inclined in those directions is itself burdens. And as those weaknesses and deep wrongness persist in us day by day, year by year, does that not create a sense of expectation in us? That these burdens, if we're left to ourselves, these burdens will just continue. 
if Aeneas felt trapped by his physical body, does not the burden of our sin and our weakness make us cry out, Who, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? The loneliness of carrying some of these burdens is deep. And so is the longing for relief. In his confessions, Augustine echoes our own groanings as he prays to God. Whenever I cling to you with my whole self at that time, I won't have sorrow or labor, and my life will wholly live as wholly full with you. But now, since the one you fill you lift up, because I am not now full of you, I am a burden to myself. Lamentable joys strive with joyous sorrows, and on which side is the victory? I don't know. Woe is me. Lord, have pity on me. My evil sorrows strive with my good joys. And on which side is the victory? I don't know. Woe is me. Lord, have pity on me. Woe is me. Look, Lord, I hide not my wounds. You are the physician. I am the sick. You are merciful. I am miserable. Is not the life of man upon earth all trial without any relief? Does it help you to hear that you're not alone in your longing for wholeness? Even if someone doesn't expect it, everyone longs for it. We want to be out under the weight of our weaknesses, but we expect to find ourselves bedridden tomorrow just like today. We, we want to walk freely, unencumbered by sin, and yet we hear ourselves saying with Augustine, I'm a burden to myself. But then Peter shows up. There's no prelude. There's no conversation recorded. There's no request from Aeneas. There's no mention of his faith. There's just Peter, who makes it very clear that what's happening isn't from him. In verse 34, he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately, Aeneas rose. If, if you were Aeneas, would you have expected to make your bed that day? Uh, stop. Just stop here now. Wonder with me, what is Jesus doing? He, well, he's healing Aeneas, of course, which is beautiful. Because he is relieving the burden that Aeneas expected to carry to his grave. No one has ever been more excited about making his bed than Aeneas. And in a moment, we're going to come back to what that means, uh, what Jesus' action means for our expectations for today. But first, look how the beauty of Jesus' healing of Aeneas runs deeper than we expect. Do you remember how Luke opened the very first chapter of Acts. In the very first verse, he tells Theophilus that this his first that his first book, that's Luke's gospel, was all about all that Jesus began to do and teach during his earthly ministry before his ascension. The, the implication, of course, is that this book, his second book, the Acts of the Apostles, is all about what Jesus continued to do 
through his spirit-empowered apostles like Peter. That's actually what Peter is saying here. By saying that Jesus is healing Aeneas, Peter is saying that the resurrected, ascended Christ is himself still doing good to his people. Jesus is still teaching them something about himself and something about his kingdom. And so here, through his healing of Aeneas, if we're asking this question, what is Jesus doing? Then we must see that beneath the healing, Jesus is adjusting, rather exploding expectations. Because this healing points us first toward an unexpected wholeness that is only found in God's kingdom. And it also points us toward the surprising goodness of God's king. First, Jesus is creating an expectation of wholeness. His kingdom is a kingdom that is typified by peace, which in the Bible means so much more than the absence of war. The, the peace brought by Jesus in the New Testament is linked to God's promise of shalom in the Old Testament. <coughs> shalom reigns. All the conditions for human flourishing are in place. When shalom, it, when perfect shalom exists, creation itself, including human beings, is typified by wholeness, completeness. <coughs> and, by him, and by healing Aeneas' paralysis, it's as if Jesus is saying, look, this is what I've come to do. I'm restoring wholeness to people burdened by the fall, burdened by themselves. You, you can expect shalom from me. See? Look at it. Look at it. It's, it's already beginning. Jesus is creating an expectation of wholeness. But, but actually more than that, Jesus is also teaching us to expect his goodness. Uh, think again how this story unfolded. This healing was totally unasked for, but Jesus planned it out. It, it, was, it was totally unexpected, unasked for, but Jesus was pleased to initiate. The, the healing itself precedes faith. But it has the effect of creating faith. Of bringing more and more people into his kingdom. This healing shows us that in Jesus, compassion for burdened people is joined with power to relieve them. And that sight of Jesus' goodness is magnetically attractive to anyone who says, I'm a burden. John Chrysostom, writing around 400 AD, notices that, a, that attractive quality of Jesus. He suggests that most of the miracles done by Jesus and his apostles served one of two purposes. Some were done for the purpose of drawing others to faith. Some for the comfort of them that believe. And, and, and while some miracles achieved both purposes, we certainly see how Jesus uses this one to draw others to himself and to build his church. Because as the people of Buddha and Sharon see the goodness of the king, and they see the wholeness that his kingdom brings, as Jesus explodes their expectations of what is 
and what will be, they come to him. That's what it tells us in verse 35. All the residents saw Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. That word turn, that word turn is the language of repentance that is fueled by faith, driven by faith. They turn away from whatever ex expectations they previously had. They are turning away from despair. They're turning away from other empty hopes for wholeness. And they turn to Christ himself. This one who makes people whole through his own goodness. But how? How does Jesus do this? We have to see how the shadow of the cross covers this story. How else could our burdens be lifted unless another carried them? But through the streets of Jerusalem, Jesus carried the cross of our shame. When Christ was crucified, he bore in himself the burden of our sin. As the prophet said, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This this is Jesus, the unlooked-for, unasked-for Savior who always does more than we expect or imagine. He, he is the bringer of wholeness because he himself was broken. On the cross, he showed goodness to his enemies even before we were aware of him so that we might come to him and be made whole in him. He's the one to turn to because Jesus frees us from the burden of ourselves by taking our burdens upon himself. If, if the goodness of Jesus is attractive to you, if you see him as the only one who can free you from the burden of yourself and make you whole, then come to him and keep coming to him. It's going to require repentance and ongoing repentance because our hearts are prone to hope in other things to relieve our burdens. We must continue to repent because we burden ourselves with sin every day. And so like Augustine, do not hide your wounds from the great physician. He may be miserable under our load, but he is merciful. Do not dare to not come to Take heart from this. If Jesus showed goodness and brought wholeness to a man who did not ask for it, then you can expect that he will show the same goodness to you as you come to him. Jesus himself, as we heard earlier, says, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. And that's a promise that he makes, and his blood assures you is real and true. As you come to him, though, I want us to consider this question of well, what should you expect of him today? It, to say that the healing of Aeneas is pointing us toward the wholeness of God's kingdom, pointing us toward the goodness of God's king, all that is to say that this healing is a sign. And, and you know how signs work. It, it's like this. If you go down to Orlando, you might see a sign. 
It's a massive archway over the road, framed by Mickey and Minnie, that says Walt Disney World. Now suppose you get to that sign with a few hiked up kids in the backseat. And you stop the car right under the sign and you tell the kids, okay, here's the sign. Hop out of the car. Let's have some fun. How are the kids going to respond? All I know is that I don't want to be there if you do that. The, the confusion, the tears, the, the frustration, the disappointment would be awful. Because the sign is good and it serves a purpose. But the sign is a mile away from the real thing. And if you expect the sign to carry the weight of the real thing, then you are bound for disappointment. Many people see the signs of God's kingdom, like the one given here. They see these glimpses of wholeness, of healing, of restoration, and their heart longs for that wholeness, which is totally right. So many come to Jesus with a wrong expectation that he will grant them complete wholeness today and in the ways that I demand, that I expect. So many people get stuck at the sign and they fail to see where it's pointing. But we know that the health and wealth gospel is an extreme form of this. But anytime, anytime you or I place our demands on Jesus, place our expectations on Him, we are in danger of falling into that same error. But did you notice in the text how the people of Buddha and Sharon don't get stuck at the sign itself? Every person surely felt their own burden, but they don't come to Peter with a demand to receive a similar sign for themselves. No, they follow the sign given to seek the giver of the Son. They turn to the Lord, entrusting themselves to His goodness, the goodness that they've already seen on display. And so for us, when we come to Jesus, we do expect Him to give us relief from our burdens today. Immediately, we do rise because today, by the blood He shed, He pardons those who come to Him in faith and repentance. He removes the burden of our sin. Today, those who have pride, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death, can also say, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today, you can expect Him to give you grace that transforms, grace that flows from his own goodness. And yet, at the same time, we also expect that there are some burdens that must be endured for now. Carried in faith and hope with patience. I'm not saying that change isn't possible. I'm not saying the Lord does not grow us in health physically, emotionally, spiritually. Praise the Lord that He does all of those things. But I am saying that we must be careful about our expectations. Sometimes Jesus leaves burdens 
must be endured. Uh, Augustine understood this too. From that same part of his, his confessions, he says, Who wishes for troubles and difficulties? You command them to be endured, not to be loved. No man loves what he endures, though he loved to endure. The, the things that Jesus calls us to endure now are sometimes painful, like that thorn in the flesh that Paul pleaded with the Lord to remove, but the Lord left instead. It, it's hard for us. It's hard for us to reconcile the presence of such burdens with his goodness. But, but what we must come to see is that him leaving that thorn in the flesh, him leaving some burden that must be borne for now, these things are unexpectedly an expression of his goodness. How can that be? How can he be good and leave that burden? Because through the burden, he intends to show you his grace and his power to save you through that painful, unwanted experience. He means to show you that you may still feel like a burden to yourself, but he will carry you. He, will ca he himself will carry you, burden and all, all the way home. And yet he gives more grace. Even as we groan under the burdens of these bodies and our stories and our struggles with sin, because amid these things, he brings us into his community, the church. Here, in this place, he gives us to each other. And he commands us to bear each other's Where before we carried our burdens alone, now we walk together, helping each other. This, honestly, this is one of the reasons why we encourage everyone to connect into one of the small groups. To spend time together outside of Sunday morning. Develop these relationships. Sit down over coffee. Be honest about your burdens. Because this is the place. And these are the people. That God has provided for you to help you shoulder these burdens, to help you endure. These are deep waters, and there's so much more to say. I just I want you to understand that we can't lay our demands on Jesus. He won't submit to our expectations or or to timelines that don't flow to uh, flow from His goodness. And yet today we know that He really does give relief and wholeness and peace. Today, we hope in his goodness, even if we're awaiting that total wholeness, that total filling. But if total wholeness, if that overflowing cup is what we expect, then, then let's name that. What should you expect from Jesus tomorrow? If we follow the signs, Jesus is, a, is changing our expectation about how things are going to be. Aeneas rising and making his bed does point us to our hope in Christ that things won't always remain as they are. Creation won't always be broken. 
We ourselves won't always remain as we are, physically, emotionally, spiritually burdened, a burden to ourselves and to others. You know that there's so much wrong that we see today in ourselves and out in the world, but there's real comfort here because contained in this sign is the promise. God's promise that through Jesus, all creation, including you who hope in him, all of creation will rise. And it's going to begin to work the way that it's supposed to work. When his kingdom comes in its fullness, when the physician finishes his healing work, then comes the day when burdens, burdens are gone. And on that day, you yourself will rise, not metaphorically. You will rise. And see for yourself that our Lord is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or expect according to his power that's at work within us. <clears throat> and until that day, may the Lord comfort you by knowing what you can expect from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this word. We praise you for this sign that was given to our brother Aeneas so long ago. Father, thank you for showing the, the kindness of Jesus to him, the goodness of Jesus to him. And thank you for doing it in a way that we could see. Lord, thank you for this word that points us toward the hope that is ours in Christ, the expectation of wholeness, and goodness that's already begun and will soon overflow. Father, comfort our hearts with this hope, enabling us to, to walk with our eyes fixed on you with great patience in this world as we await our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.